Once again to the Perimeter Church Podcast. If you've watched the Olympics, you've seen dozens of athletes at their very best, but you've also seen many of their coaches. Coaches provide not just instruction, but accountability. And accountability willingly taken on in order to obtain their prize. How much coaching is heaven worth? Lead teacher Randy Pope brings us part four of the church, your church, and you which covers Matthew chapter 16, verses 13 through 19, and chapter 18, verses 15 through 20. Thank you for joining us today. Now let's get into the teaching. I was driving over here last night, and as I was driving, I was having this little conversation in my mind. And this is what I was thinking. I, I, thought, I thought, you know what? People don't want to hear what you're going to say in this first mini message that you give. I can't find anything that makes it attractive, enjoyable, inspirational, important. Yes. Instructive. Yes. New to many. Yes. But not a popular teaching, not an enjoyable teaching. As I'm thinking, you know, people don't want to hear this. There was a voice that I kept hearing. It was a constant thought. And my thought was simply this. But you know what? Your job is just to tell the truth. And let people take it for what they take it. That's not my responsibility. Now, by the way, I know there are going to be many of you that are going to embrace this and love what you hear. But this is going to be a little bit challenging to some of us. It's going to be odd to many of us. And many of us who don't want to believe what you hear are going to find probably good reason to say, I don't think most people believe this today. And, you know, I don't think they do. But what I'm going to be teaching you in this first segment, what I'm going to be teaching you is for sure the absolute majority report for the history of the church from its foundation up until maybe 50, 60 years ago. Maybe not even that long. Most of us don't remember when this wasn't the majority thought. And therefore, it seems like, what are you talking about? Never heard. What is this all about? I think you'll see now as we jump into this. I've already said in the series as we've been going that this series is on the church, your church, and you. Talking about that, I have raised the platform to simply say we need to understand that individualism is one of the greatest threats that faces our culture today, and even in the church, the same. That the counterforce that God has provided is what's called accountable relationships, how vitally important they are. And then I've underscored this very important point over and over again, and that is that accountable relationships require a recognized authority. And I hope you're hearing this. Accountable relationships require a recognized authority. So if we believe that accountable relationships is the counterforce to something very deadly in our lives called individualism. And if it's true, if we embrace that recognized authority is absolutely important. Then we better explore this recognized authority. And God's given us several authorities, including the home and the church. And this is a series that is trying to impress upon us all the beauty of that recognized authority called the church. Now, last two weeks, I've taught out of Matthew 16 and Matthew 18. 
And this is going to be derived from that teaching. I'm not going to go back and recap it. If you've missed, please get the free podcast. You can uh, purchase a CD. But try to understand this has come out of teaching from God's word. Now, some of the implications and understanding of that. We're going to look at two forms of accountability found in the church. We're going to look at one of them this week, one of them next week. This week, we're going to look at the reality that every believer needs the spiritual accountability of a church covenant. We're going to address that. Then next week, we'll be talking about the needed spiritual accountability of a faithful community. So those are the two we're going to be touching on, and that'll end our series. Today, this thing called a church covenant. There is another word for this thing called a covenant. It's one that I don't like as well, but it's the one we use. And most people do use it. It's called membership. Church membership. Very misunderstood. Unfortunate that it's become synonymous to putting your name on a roll. It was only uh, this weekend that I was talking to a, a dear friend that I was with that happens to go to another church. And it's a, a church is not in the north part of Atlanta, but it's a, a very, 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 very major church that, that you would know of. Not, uh, if you're familiar with church at large, national church, you would know, you would know who this church was. And so we're talking and something came up and I don't forget what, how it happened. And I said, well, now I know you're one of the main leaders there. So you're a member of that church, right? And he goes, no, no, I'm not a member. But I said, but you're one of the main leaders, you know, you're not a member. He said, no, I'm not a member. And I'm going, wow, that's odd. He said, well, we don't have membership. I said, oh, you don't have membership. And today, you know, it's almost like a a badge of of wonder and, and, and goodness to be able to say of a church, we don't have, we just don't even have membership. Meaning we're not focused on statistics. We're not focused on you know, counting noses of people, not important to us. And it just showed me a, just such a, a grave misunderstanding about the church and what it means to be a member. I had a friend that was asking me to consult with him in a t- rough time in the church, pastor. And they were a congregational church where the congregation came to vote on issues of importance. And they were in a big issue. And it could be highly important where this church would end up. And as I'm talking to them, I'm saying, well, now, how many members do you have? And how many members will show up? And I forget what it was. And, and he mentioned, he said, well, we really don't have membership in our church. And I said, well, who will vote then? He said, well, our members will vote. I said, I'm a little confused here. He said, well, the way we do it is if you think of yourself as a member, then you're a member. If you don't think of yourself as a member, then you're not a member. Folks, that is borderline stupidity in my mind. I hear that. I go, I, I'm, not, I'm not getting this at all. But anyway, it, it's sad what's happened to this thing called membership. What it is, it's an oath. It is an oath. And just to be sure, if any of you say, well, wait, I believe that oaths are wrong. I think Jesus addressed that in Matthew 5 about not taking oaths. No, 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 no. He was dealing with the corruption that had taken place regarding oaths. Jesus 
was under oath. Paul under oath. Nothing wrong with oaths. Ecclesiastes talks about oaths when you make a vow to God. Certainly nothing wrong with oaths. So I want to address two questions very briefly. The first is, why do we make covenants with Christ's church? Doesn't it seem a bit unnecessary? Or to put it another way, think of marriage. Same type of thing. We think today, why are oaths important in marriage? Why is it that they would be? Do you know when I was uh, getting married, when Carol and I got married, uh, I had the opportunity in our little bulletin that we had for our wedding service to write something. And, and I think on the back of it, I wrote something about, about covenants. And the beauty of having a covenant that binds the relationship. The reality is, when you take an oath, there is a much greater accountability if you believe in God. And you've made the oath in the presence of God. Then in that case, you say, man, I've got something to bind me in that relationship. I have, uh, I've talked about Cyprian couple of times I've really misquoted him a bit. I was kind of from memory. I'd say Cyprian said, if God is your father then the church is your mother. So I looked up Cyprian's quote and it was far stronger than I've been using. This is actually what he said. He cannot have God for his father who does not have the church for his mother. Whoa. Well, did this Cyprian, this church father guy, did he really understand salvation by faith alone? Absolutely. He did. No question about it. This has been the historic biblical teaching that the church is that vitally important. And that is coming into an oath, a covenant relationship. I want to do something that's not good for communication. It's to read something to you that's longer than just a a, a quick quote. And uh, but I'm going to do it because I think it's that important. It comes from a book called The Body. Worth your reading. Chuck Colson just recently went to be with the Lord. Colson understood the historic biblical teaching of the church. This is what he says. He says, so membership in a church particular is no more optional than membership in the church universal. Hmm. Yet membership in a confessing body is fundamental to the faithful Christian life. Wonder how many people believe that. Failure to do so defies the explicit warning not to forsake our assembling together. His understanding of this prompted Martin Luther to say, And before I quote Martin Luther, Martin Luther is the, of all theologians and church leaders, the one who is cried out defending the reality of faith alone. And and he says, no, there's nothing else that saves you except faith. The church doesn't save you. Being a member doesn't save you. But look, he says, apart from the church, salvation is impossible. What does he mean by that? Not that the church provides salvation, God does, but because the saved one cannot fulfill what it means to be a Christian apart from the church, membership becomes the indispensable mark of salvation. It's a mark of salvation. That's the point. So highly does the Lord esteem the community, communion of his church. Calvin wrote, now Calvin's one of the great theologians of all time. I respect him beyond all theologians. And if you've heard history-wise some bad things about Calvin, go back and study your history. You're going to find that a lot you've heard, as I heard in the university, was really not accurate. But he wrote that he considers everyone a traitor 
an apostate from religion who perversely withdraws himself from any Christian society which preserves the true ministry of the word and the sacraments, and that's the church. If apart from the church particular, one cannot participate in the ordinance, or if apart from the church particular, one cannot participate in the ordinances or sacraments, then one cannot claim to be a Christian and at the same time claim to be outside the church. To do so is at best, at least hypocrisy, at the worst, blasphemy. When someone is converted and thereby comes into the church universal, the first step of discipleship is membership in the church particular. That's an important point there that they come into the church universal. You're a Christian. You don't stop. You're not a Christian because you don't join a church. But the first step of discipleship is membership because that's when you get to be treated as a Christian, which is going to enhance the spiritual pilgrimage that we're on. So important information there. Last question to address. What are the benefits of being a church member? The question again, what are the benefits of marriage by covenant as opposed to living together? You know, some people say, well, there are no benefits. That's why we don't get married. I mean, let's face it. There's some here that are living together right now without being married. And you're finding absolutely no conflict probably coming to church. I'll come to church and I worship and I love the Lord and I serve the Lord. We just happen to be living together and, you know, sexually active and so forth. But we love each other. We wouldn't do that. It would be wrong if we didn't love each other. But we love each other and that's what counts. Because there's no understanding of covenants and vows today. It's gone. But there is value. It's not that, okay, let's see. What are the advantages of getting married? Let's see. Um, oh, if you get divorced, then you have to divide your assets. Hmm. Well, that's not a very good, that's not a great reason to get married. Let's see. Uh, what would it be? Oh, uh, well, just the risk. You know, you get married, you, you get the risk of having to break a covenant. And then you get in all kind of trouble and people think badly of you. So that's, what is the whole idea? Why do you get married by covenant? And here's the reason. Because it grounds a love relationship by the fact that a vow before Almighty God has been taken. I married a couple here just last week. Child of one of our longtime staff staff members and, and this child on staff as well now. And they got married, and as any wedding that I do, I don't do many of them today, but the, the weddings I do always make this point. We get to that point when they're up here, and now it's time for the vows. I say these words. This is the high and holy moment of this service. It is upon these vows that you take that you're married, not just in the presence of your friends and family, but before Almighty God. And then I quote out of Ecclesiastes 5. I say, remember, this is the same God who said, when you vow a vow before God, defer not to pay it. For God hath no pleasure in fools. Better is it that you never vow a vow than that you vow a vow and then don't pay it. Wow. There's the beauty of vows. If you fear God, you love God, you're going to say, oh, I'm not going to let this thing split apart. Without the fight of my life. Because I vowed to God. The greatest hope for a marriage is in covenant. The greatest hope in spiritual foundation and pilgrimage is in covenant with God's church. They go together. So Colson, 
writes once again, and I'm going to continue reading. This is in a portion of the book where he is arguing for why so many people today are not living holy lives as Christians. And look what he goes to to answer that question. He says, maybe it's because we simply haven't taught accountability. Interesting, I see the word accountability come up, individualistics coming up in the next line. Or maybe it's because in today's fiercely individualistic culture, people resent being told what to do. And since we don't want to scare them off, we succumb to cultural pressures. But accountability is a hollow concept unless it is enforced. There must be teeth in the church's demand for orthodoxy and righteous behavior. That is what we call discipline. Even pragmatically, no one should expect to join a church which after all involves a free decision, and then refuse to accept its authority, that is, its rules, if you will. For failing to attend a few meetings, one can be thrown out of the Rotary Club. (laughs) It's interesting, isn't it? For failing to live up to a particular dress code, one can be dismissed from most private clubs. For failing to perform the required community service, one can be thrown out of the junior league. Yet when the church imposes discipline... Denying the benefits of membership to those who flout its standards. It's charged with everything short of and sometimes including fascism. But shouldn't the church have at least the same right to set its standards as the Rotary Club? People who don't like it can and should go elsewhere. We weaken the church when we fail to discipline. Discipline should be applied not only to enforce orthodoxy but to maintain righteous behavior in the church. Sermons on holy living are empty exercises unless the church is willing to back them up with action. But discipline, quote, discipline guards the purity of the church, preserves the church by removing evil, and provides severe but loving correction for one who is in danger of falling into perdition. Without effective discipline, there can be no accountability. Let's face it. There are a lot of us that probably don't really appreciate this, and that we have a bit of suspicion and concern And the reason is because we've had bad experiences with churches. And more often we've had bad experience with the authority of a father. And we have dismissed authority. God's authority because of the abuse of authority. But I'm going to plead with you. Don't give it up. Work through it. Think through it. Pray through it. I realize that a lot of people are going to say, this is not making sense to me. I don't agree with it. I think this is an overemphasis. I don't, whatever, whatever, whatever. And, and it won't be popular. But I truly believe this. I would much rather have the disapproval, the disagreement, but for the most part have a people that are a holy people that come with accountable authority in the church than to have all the support and all the applause and all the numbers that might come but not having a holy people that make up the church at large. And I think that's what's at stake. I think that's what Colson is trying to say. I realize that many of us here will probably take this as a little bit of a smack, as if I'm just trying to say, I just want you to get to be a member of this church. You need to go through membership. This is a way to get you to join. You can believe it if you want to. It's not true. I can say with credibility and integrity I would rather you go to another church and join it and take covenant than to come here and not be in covenant. You need it. It's important. 
And though it may be hard to feel, even like marriage, I don't understand. You can still love each other. You can still live with each other. You can still have many of the benefits. I know that. But there is something missing. If you're dating the church, go into marriage. With that, I promise the next mini-message will be more enjoyable. <laughs> Let's pray together. Our Father in heaven, we pray, grant us here to be a people that embrace truth and to search the truth to see if it's in your word or not. If it is, may we embrace it, popular or not. We believe you more than we believe our own feelings and thoughts, certainly our culture. So bless, we pray. May you be honored, for we pray in the great name of Christ our Savior. Amen. Now we turn our attention in the closing few minutes with you and your church. And I'm going to begin with the you portion here as we are each week trying to build on what we're calling our life plan. Uh, We have these little helpful guides, uh, the pursuit of a life plan that have been made available. I just learned that we are out of them now. So if you haven't picked one up, what you can do is go on perimeter.org slash Pope, and you can print one of these from that. And so you can get your own, you can read over it there. So know that it is on our website at perimeter.org slash Pope. Each week we've been building. We started with purpose, then vision, then mission. Now what we're going to do is we want to talk a little bit about values. As we talk about values, we're answering the question, what is most important to me? Here would be my recommendation of how to do this. As we talked earlier in the series, spend time alone with God. Listen to the Lord. I've already instructed, how do you do that? Now you're alone with the Lord. You're saying, Lord, I want to think through values now. Start with a blank sheet of paper and just say, Lord... As I think here, I want to think in your presence. I'm going to write down anything that comes to mind that might be on the value list of what I think most important to me. And words will come to mind. You write them down. And as they flow, just put them down, put them down all over the page. Then after you feel it's exhausted, there may be still another that comes to mind later on. Fine. But what you want to do is now start paring it down to only a few. Not an easy task. And you'll have a sense of what you're saying, well, I guess I don't value that. Well, you do, but there can only be a few that you can carry with you and know these are the most important so that you have something to really help you. If you get too many, you forget them all. So I would argue for just a handful if you can. And whatever you can get it down to, stop at that point and then try to write your beliefs about that particular value. What do you mean by that value? And I'm going to model it with my own so you'll understand what I'm talking about. But you write out your belief. Now, that's going to probably over time continually be morphed and changed and upgraded and so forth. I was reading through my family values that I will show you in just a moment. I was reading through my family values again this week. And when I did, I saw one of the beliefs that I said, you know, I think that needs to be tweaked. I don't think it's accurately saying What I really wanted it to say, so I will tweak that. I already have. Just tweaked it just a little bit. It's an ongoing process. I first did mine 18 years ago. And so uh, I didn't have these for the longest. And I found them to be such an advantage once I got them written down. 
Let me give you an illustration by using my four life values. And these pretty much are what I call my who you are life values. These are the same four that are shared by the church. In fact, we wrote them at the same time. I wrote my own as I did these. So I saw these and I said, this is what I really hope the church's values would be. The leadership believed in it and agreed. So um, here's the first. The first is love. I'll read this one. I'll read two of them. This one and then the uh, next one. Uh, the belief that loving and serving Christ is the highest priority and the most satisfying experience of life and that giving and serving are much richer life experiences than receiving and being served. Okay? No right or wrong to it. That's just what I had and what I thought it meant. Integrity. Number two, integrity. The believer's responsibility is to integrate truth into every aspect of life So as to live as a bondservant of Christ, whether in the marketplace, home, social arena, or church. So you can kind of get an idea how long, if if mine helps, you can do it any way you want. There's no right or wrong to this. I'm just trying to help you kind of see a way to do this. In your plan, you'll see others that might give you other ideas, different shapes and ways to do it. But uh, the last two are faith and then truth. It makes a little acronym that we remember in the church as you learn the church values. Uh, LIFT, uh, love, integrity, faith, and truth. Little acronym LIFT, good way to remember it. How do I use this personally? Well, same way I did this morning, yesterday, the week before, and the week before, and the week before, for years now. I begin every day with only a handful of exceptions where it's forgotten or something came up early, whatever. But virtually every morning I get in whichever position of prayer I choose. And at that point, a brief prayer of these values. It goes like this. Lord, this morning I begin my day resolved to live by faith with integrity, according to truth, and to love you and man. That's my my prayer. I pray it over and over and over so you can pray your values into your life experiences. Hopefully to the point that when you began to find yourself not being integrous, it, it hits you. Or you think I'm not being truthful. Oops, it hits you. I'm not experiencing or, or demonstrating faith right now. Oops, it hits you. So it's just a reminder of these are the things that are most important. I've been asked by several of you uh, as we've begun this series, I've been asked, well, can you say more about family? And how do you do this for a family? And it's just really too much for me to cover all of this. But But here on values, I do want to address this question on the family. For me, the experience was just a little different in that I saw through the eyes of children, my own children. And I began to think, now what's most important to me, but what do I want to be most important to them? And so the life values there, I started thinking of other arenas of values. And I came up with, with 40 or 50. And when I started paring it down, I could not get it less than 12. It began to be the question, which child do you love the most? I mean, it was like, it's just, I couldn't say, I'll let this one go or that one. So 12, it's way too many. I know that, but I just had to do it. So and I, I rationalized, I said there were 12 apostles and I went through a number of things. So <laughs> anyway, I came up with my 12 and then wrote my beliefs. And then I said, okay, I've got to, uh, I've got to get my kids to buy into this. If you've been through membership, you've heard this story, but I, I actually, I saw it's too much. They won't remember it, but maybe I can get them focused on it. And so I went to them, Carol and I, after we had these written, we said, okay, guys, if you will memorize this whole page, 
the value and the beliefs and you get it accurate. You can quote it back. And when I told them the amount of money I would give them, they knew money didn't come from dad very easily and they had to earn it and this, that, and the other. Boy, their, their eyes got big when they, it was a large amount of money. I mean, for us, it was a large amount of money. And they went, are you serious? Oh, deadly serious. This is important. But here's the little, there's a little catch to it. Yeah, I knew there would be dad. You know, what is it? Well, you just have to quote it and I'll give you 25% of that money. You've got to wait at least a month, do it again, and you'll get the second installment, another month, third installment, another month, last installment. So at least I knew for four months that they would at least have to keep going over it. And maybe they hear a little bit more of it because he'd been going over it so much. I knew as soon as they had memorized it and gotten their money, it was forgotten forever in terms they would never, they couldn't tell you, I guarantee you, they couldn't tell you those 12 values if they had to right now. But the hope was that maybe because they knew them and they identified them, what we thought about those things, that maybe if Carol and I lived it out in our home, maybe they would embrace it too. I know this, that years later when our third child, Nina, was in college, uh, she moved where she was living to another place. And I went to visit her and the room was already set up. And there, to my shock and amazement, there above her bed was framed the Pope values. Boy, it just grabbed me. Wow, it must have meant something. Therefore, I think it's an important exercise. I really do. And so, I'll show you mine, just a few of them. I'll read only a a very few of them. The first, uh, for me, is rightly relating to God. I'm not going to read that one, nor the next. Love for God and man. Number three, character and physical development. This is all on perimeter.org slash Pope, so you don't need to feel like you got to read it now. But just to kind of give you a feel for how long each one of these are and so forth. Um, for instance, character. The character development, let me go back. The character development is more important than human success. One's body being the temple of the Holy Spirit should be given the proper diet, exercise, and rest needed to keep it healthy. Just a life value. Uh, worship. How about this one? Let me read it. The daily, the daily personal worship and weekly corporate worship of God is vital for healthy Christian living. Wouldn't you love your children to embrace that one, parents? And by the way, I don't know that they will. If there's any hope that they will. At least expectation unless they see us as parents modeling that to them. Next, moral purity. Discipleship making. The next one is effort. Interesting. I, I put effort on my list and I, I realized why. It's because I saw that modeled by my family that I grew up in. I, I, I heard repeatedly, repeatedly. If I would fail in something that just grieved me and I felt bad about it, whatever, didn't matter. I, they'd say, well, did you do your best? And I'd say, yeah, I did, but I still failed at this. And they said, well, who cares? What difference does that make then? And on the converse of that, I would, I would find that if I did something and ex- excelled in it, that I would hear an expression of, we don't really appreciate or admire you that much for it if you didn't give it good effort. I said, well, I didn't have to try hard on this. I said, well, I'm not that proud of you. So I realized that effort seemed to be more important than the accomplishment itself. They just wanted to see me give a try. So lo and behold, I can't erase it from my values. Very interesting. Stewardship, then personal relationships. I'll read this one. That quality life requires building and nurturing significant relationships. Spouse selection. This will be important to any of us that have children. 
In choosing a spouse, spiritual qualities are more important than physical attractiveness or personality traits. Do you believe that if your children embrace that one, that there would be far less divorces? I guarantee it. Far less divorces. Family. That loving one's spouse is the most important relational commitment a married believer can make. And loving and equipping one's children with godly values is the highest call of a Christian parent. And the last one happens to be good reports. Now again, pages 12 through 14 of your manual will give you, I think, everything you need to know beyond what I've said now. So go at it. Half an hour, asking every person to give a half an hour each week to expand in your, your plan until you get it fairly well finished after next week. So we've got one more week on this and we'll give attention to other things. Okay, now let's turn our last thoughts to your church, your church. Last week, I only got into the beginning portion of our mission and mission is so detailed that I'm going to spend this week and next week on mission. I'll cover also values next week of the church. I'll just touch on that briefly and But uh, that's all we'll have time for. But I want you to make sure that you get this. Here was the vision for our church that we looked at a couple of weeks ago. To make and deploy mature and equipped followers of Christ for the sake of family, community, and global transformation. Now, we dealt last week with what it means to make and deploy mature and equipped followers of Christ. This week, I'm going to cover for the sake of family. And what is the mission of this church regarding family? And then next week, I will cover the very last piece, and that is for community and global transformation. Now, I'm going to go to the section on family. If you have your one pager, you can look at it now. You can go even now if you have an instrument to do so, perimeter.org slash pope, and you can see here the mission. And I'm going to walk through, we plan to bring about family transformation by four things. Here they are. Equipping children and youth. To understand the gospel and to embrace a biblical world and life view. I hope you know of your church perimeter that your church is unique to many in that we are a gospel-centered church as opposed to a moralistic-centered one. Meaning that your children, when they're being taught from the earliest ages, are not getting this, okay, this is what it means to be kind. Jesus says to be kind. You're to be kind. Okay, kindness is what we're talking about today. But it goes beyond that. Nothing wrong with that. But it goes beyond gospel-centered, says, no, you've got to give the source of power. It's what Jesus has done for us. I'll assure you a child will begin to assume wrongly, but it's natural for them to assume that if I do this, then God likes me more. And we're trying in our children's ministry to say, "Uh uh-uh, it's the other way. We are only helping you. You're the primary equipper and trainer and But we're helping in that way. So you know you're getting that from your church. We are historically reformed in our biblical understanding of, of the scriptures, our world and life view. So they're getting a world and life perspective from the historic teaching of the church. It's not going to be the modern stuff. It's the historic biblical teaching. I did some survey, uh, some just some research, I should say on what's going on now in the life of our church. So you just kind of know where we are. When we meet in the, in the groups here at the church, I'm going to start casting vision for the next five years in these arenas. But, but just to know a little bit about where your church is now, 
This was intriguing for me to learn. I hope it will be for you. We have an average of 1,350 kids birth through sixth grade here every weekend. That's in Kids Town and Kids, and kids Quest. We have, listen to this, 713 first through sixth graders in children discipleship. That means that there's a man designated to a handful of, of, of uh, boys and a, a woman with a handful of, of young girls to assist the parents in the Christian nurture of their children. We have 237 J high students in discipleship and 284 senior high in discipleship. So that's not just the big group meeting, that's discipleship. You should be encouraged. I found out too, you know, we have the bricks that take in our J hires uh, each uh, Friday night. Do you know that uh, it, we estimate around 5,000 community J high kids have been introduced to the gospel, have been, they've heard the gospel in those meetings that uh, take place there. It's been incredible what's happened there. You add the school, and I'm not going to say in detail about it, but you add all that, and, and God's using this church in children's lives. I think you can see the importance we have here. Let's talk a minute about singles. Number two, equipping singles to leverage their missional mobility and to make wise marital decisions. I think a lot of large churches kind of focus on singles as being a place where you gather to be able to find people you want to go out with. And, you know, there's nothing wrong with that happening, but, but that's not our focus. What we are here is just trying to say we want to equip our singles. And um, whether it be missionary mobility or making wise decisions, I tell you this, do you know that over a thousand couples uh, have been mentored and and trained and helped in premarital, our, our uh, premarital training that we offer here. So a lot of couples have been blessed there. You may be surprised to know that not only do we have a children's camp program, but, but we hire these counselors to come in. And, and, and boy, these counselors come from all over the country, the finest of the finest, many of them our own people. But we offer them training in job skills during that time. We give them training in how to share the gospel and Many different things, and they are getting well-equipped. So over 2,000 of them have been equipped here over the years, last 15 years of our camp program. And then you may be unaware that we have, uh, I think it's 42 staff members from this church that are on campus living at the campuses of eight different campuses in Georgia. And they're doing a ministry to the campus college kids. We have uh, ministries at Georgia Tech, UGA, um, Kennesaw State, North Georgia, Spelman, uh, Clark, Atlanta, and Morehouse. Great ministries. Do you know that this last year, we had over 1,800 kids involved in discipleship on those campuses with our, under our staff leadership and so forth. We had 130 people have 130 or more annually going to training for the summer. And so uh, there's a lot going on among those singles there in the college age. Let's mention uh, something about marriage. Under marriage, we say equipping marriage to delight in their God-given roles and to fulfill their God-given responsibilities. You need to know that there are two different approaches to looking at marriage. Through the history of the church, there's been what's called the complementarian theological approach. Now we have, in the last 30, 40 years, we've moved to, not us in this church, but nationally, certainly you're finding an egalitarian approach. Here's the difference. We're complementarian. It says that we are equal in marriage, 
but distinctly different in the roles that God has given us. Egalitarian says we are equal and there's no distinction between roles, biblically speaking. That is destroying family. It is not biblical from our understanding. There are wonderful godly people that hold the other, but I'm telling you, it is modern. It is not the historical position of the church. We have uh, 20 marriage mentor couples that are working with problemed marriages. So when we get problem marriages, we take them to mentor couples and spend time with them. Hundreds of couples struggling in marriage are being helped over the years here. Lastly, equipping parents to develop a family plan to shepherd their children's hearts. Uh, I don't know if, if, if you understand the difference, but most parents that are Christians uh, kind of assume that the way you raise children is that you shape their behaviors by discipline and all the things that are biblical and right, and you shape their beliefs by teaching them what the Bible has to say. We believe that the best approach to raising children is to shepherd the child's heart, that you start looking at the heart issue, and it's a different approach. It's not that you don't teach beliefs and behavior. You certainly do. But the idea and goal is not to shape that. It's to shepherd the heart. Only God can change the heart. So you appeal through prayer and through uh, the conscience and the heart. You start dealing with that as the primary instrument. So you'll hear a lot more of that in our town hall meetings about uh, what we're coming up with and what we're going to be doing over the next years. Uh, But these are the four arenas that we're trying to do in in the area of family transformation. I'll tell you this much. It is our goal that by the end of five years, that in this community, that there would be a common knowledge. If you've got a family problem, go to Perimeter Church. That's where you want to get equipped. If you have need to understand, go, because that's where people are being helped. And so it's going to be modeling with a lot of family life here among us that attracts others to say, we want to find help. We think it's vitally important. With that, we've now finished through the values and so forth in your personal plan. You're riding along, learning more about your church. Hopefully, you're learning about the church. I'll say it one last time. Please don't focus on your plan. Do your plan. Focus on Jesus. Focus not on what you're going to do to make your life different and better. Focus on what he has done. And what he is doing, what he's done on the cross, what he is doing through the Holy Spirit living within you, his power. Focus on Jesus and everything else takes care of itself. Let's pray together. Our Father in heaven, thank you for time here to walk through these multiple arenas as we are kind of setting the stage for what you're doing here this fall. I pray, use these messages and bless even now that we might come to the cross, see you, fall in love with you based on what you've done for us and only what you've done for us. Thank you, and we ask all in the name of Jesus. Amen. Perimeter Church is located at the corner of Highway 141 and Old Alabama Road in Johns Creek, Georgia, with services Saturday night at 6 and Sunday morning at 9 and 1045. Please visit our website for more information at www.perimeter.org. Be sure to visit the media resources section to give us your feedback and find other messages from our teaching team.